Hi, friends. Welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. In this episode, we continue sharing tips on how to survive challenging working conditions and how to ensure that your business not only survives, but thrives. We talk with Tiffany Ferris and George Demet, CEOs of Palantir.net. Palantir is a consulting company that designs web-based solutions for education, healthcare, and other socially-oriented services. Tiffany and George share with us their 25 years' worth of experience in building a resilient company with distributed decision-making processes, a structure that maintains a high degree of certainty, even in uncertain times. I hope you enjoy learning from their story, and I hope you enjoy the occasional sound of children in the background, a little sign of life in this era of stay-at-home. To support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. Our special guests today are Tiffany Ferris and George Demet. Hi, Tiffany and George. How's it going? Hey, Richard. Nice to be with you. Thanks for having us. Hi there. Thanks. Yeah. Will you introduce yourselves to our listeners? Hi, I'm Tiffany Ferris, and uh, this is George Demet, and we're the uh, co-CEOs of Palantir.net. George is the is the founder. He had the, the good ideas. I didn't even have a lemonade stand as a kid. This wasn't what I thought I would be doing. But uh, thankfully, I met George my third day of college, and and uh, he has this entrepreneurial spirit in his bones. Yeah. So, uh, so my in addition to my my parents having a, a family business, each of them also came from kind of family entrepreneurial backgrounds. So, when I um, you know was growing up and thinking about what I wanted to do with my life and everything, the idea of working for someone else actually really never crossed my mind. I was obviously just going to go and start a company. In college, uh, this is, you know, the mid-90s, when the web was first starting to become a thing. And particularly, I I think the turning point for me was uh, when the version 1.0 of Netscape came out. And, you know, when I I saw this, I was like, oh, there's something to this. This is a very interesting new medium, new form of expression, and, and I want to be a part of it. So started out doing it as a hobby, then realized that this was something that people would actually pay money for. I could provide a service uh, to folks and really help make sure that you know people not only had access to publish information, but as much as possible that the information that was being put out there, that, that people could put out good authoritative material and um, and that was really the start of the company. And uh, Tiffany joined shortly thereafter, and has the gift of of actually knowing how to get customers. So that that was a good start, and we've been doing it ever since. Yeah, here right. we are. And here we are, and here you are. And, and, and Tiffany, you've told me your version of the story as well. Third day of school, right? Third day of college. Yeah, I met, I met George. And, you know, I had been experimenting with working on the web and in through high school. And it was something that I was really interested in. And I, I think it's a, it's a great privilege when you're able to pursue your hobbies into your passion and into your career. And I've been fortunate enough to do that. George showed me a path, pathway to do that. You know, I had a you know, family in college who said, you know, this internet thing might be something you want to try for a little bit. You know, why don't you go ahead and give it a go? And I said, okay. But, you know, like I said, this wasn't something that would have occurred to me. I was very, very much on this academic path. And and anyone who's had the chance to work with me knows that I, I do skew toward this very academic 
mind and and I'm a systems thinker. I love to take very evidence-based, research-based approaches to to solving problems. And I think that that influences not only the work that we do for our clients, but, but how we run the company and how we think about solving really complex problems. And, you know, it's, it's, we, we take this very systems approach to it. Thanks. Now, this is the podcast about teams. And I, I always ask people to tell me about the best team of their life, best team that they've ever been part of in their life. Looking at the two of you, I, I sometimes tell people, I, I think a team is a group of two or more people aligned with a common goal. You can answer individually or, or together. What is the best team that you've ever been part of? I'd probably say the, the one I'm sitting in right now. <laughs> and, and I think, uh, you know, I am better, more challenged because of the skills and the perspective that, that George brings than I would ever be, right? I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't have had the, you know, last 20 plus years of, of opportunities or challenges or any, you know, any of the things that have happened um, without without his perspective, right? I think that the, the, just the opportunity to meet someone and to be able to work with them day in and day out for as long as we have is just, it's such a, it's such a gift. Yeah, no, I, I think that the, the real key is, is having a, a complementary skill set. You know, one of the things I really appreciate about, you know, what we've been able to do, not just as a team together, the two of us, but but as we've built and grown out the company, is to, you know, to seek out and to find folks who have those kind of different and complementary skill sets, outside perspectives, that building on that kind of core, right? And, you know, providing uh, additional layers and context that, that I think allow us to do more and be more effective with our clients than, you know, we ever could, even if we're just the two of us. Right. Yeah. I think that that when we, as we grow as a, as a company and as a team, the more adaptive we get, the more we're able to incorporate those other perspectives, we get stronger, the more diverse we get them, uh, diverse, diversity of thought, diversity of experiences, diversity of perspectives and, and opinions and skills, all of those different things, they change us. But at the core, we're, we're very much the same. We're still that very curious. We're still yeah. very much committed to, to problem solving in this way that's very rooted in curiosity and in generosity. And, and this notion really does come back to I think some of the very things that we started, right? When we started working together, which was like, yeah, we are absolutely going to solve this. We are going to figure this out. We may not know it right now, but we will. And I think that that's the, that's the key. Right. You don't lead with this when you introduce yourselves, but you're more than business partners, right? Correct. Yes. <laughs> we've, been, we've, been, we've been married for a while. Uh, <laughs> and it was, it was actually the way it worked out is, I mean, you know, we were together both personally and professionally for quite a while before we got married, um, you know, and then subsequently had kids, you know, so, uh, you know, it, the business is almost like our first child in a way. But. Oh, no, it very definitely is. <laughs> it very definitely is. <laughs> Whenever the business is threatened, I, I'm very definitely a mama bear on that one. But, you know, I, I, I often like to say that, that we had a business and then we bought a house and we That's got right. married and then we had kids and in that order. But 
you know, I, when you meet someone at, at 18, you have that luxury. So you have a lot of time to figure it all out. And, and I feel yeah. really lucky to have done that. Yeah. And, and you've got some longevity too. This, this goes yeah. back to Netscape 1.0. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so next year is actually our, our 25th anniversary. So I think there were, there were certainly a lot of web companies that started in 96, but I, I, there's not a lot of us that are, you know, still around. And it, it is funny. It is weird sometimes to go back and think, I'm like, we've been around longer than Google, you know? <laughs> difference in scale right yeah i mean sure <laughs> but you know i like that we're still doing we're still the the mission and the purpose remain mm-hmm. the same and i i know that that there are many who when they think of entrepreneurship right they like to hold up the mom and pop business as 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 a waste of resources and I don't. I love being a lifestyle entrepreneur. I think that we are really a pocket of innovation. Mm-hmm. And I look at you know what we've been able to do and what we've been able to build and what those who have passed through Palantir, what they've right. been able to do and how they their careers have grown and blossomed. And I really think that those who have come through Palantir are better for their time having been here. And those who are here now are, you know, again, continue to grow. So that's, that's the way I think about it is that growth has never been intrinsically valuable at Palantir. The mark of success is for however long someone chooses to walk with us, that we are each better, that the company is better and the individual is better for us having taken that journey together. And that's the mark of respect. I think, you know, as, as a team, right. It, it respects the, the autonomy of that individual and says, you know, look, you're going to make the choice that is right for you. And um, it also says that, that we are, we are a company that, that takes the, the long-term vision. We are here to exist, right? right? We are here to become stronger, to be resilient. And so that has, it has motivation that has obligations that come along with it. And let's find a way to align those interests over time. And I think that when you can be clear, when you can be transparent about what that means, it allows people to make their own choices. And I think that that level of, of, of just respect allows people to, to either be there for as long as it makes sense for them to be there and then to separate in ways that, that are right for them and times that are right for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, it's an interesting contrast, right? I mean, I think folks, in this particular in industry, right, think about the startup model, right? Go big or go home, you know, fail fast, all these sorts of things. And, you know, and I, I think when you are pursuing, you know, that kind of hockey stick growth, you know, business model, you are focused on, you know, just certain things like uh, sales and getting as much out of the people as you can. And, you know, all of this and, you know, leads to burnout. And, um, and I, and I, I'll be honest, like, I know that folks think about, you know, startups as a, a hotbed of innovation, and there's been a lot of amazing innovation that has come out of startups. But, I think the model, the path that we've chosen actually helps people be their best selves in a way that, that wouldn't be possible in a, in a different type of business model or a different context. Especially now in the economic circumstances we find ourselves in with the global pandemic, it's important to remember, you know, over half of those in the United States are employed by small businesses, right? And we are the economic engine. We are the stability 
of this country. And, um, and, and we're the ones who are going to make sure that people have in our current system have health care who are able to provide for their families. And, and, and that's, that's something that I've always taken really seriously. And, and I think it's important to have a model that, and, and to demonstrate that there's a model that allows for a human-centered business that isn't dependent on any one person. And that's the way I've always looked at, at Palantir. It's like, look, let's find a way to structure a company that is built on the strengths and the talents of whoever is there but that isn't going to exploit them as a depletable resource <laughs> in that way that leaves them better than we found it, right? It's this idea of the camping metaphor, right? Always leave it better than you found it. And we certainly apply that to our clients, right? We want our clients to be better than we found it. Okay, so let's sort of pull back from that beautiful conversation for a bit and return to that best team of your life. Mm-hmm. What is, uh, this This might be nice to do if I uh, sort of guide you to both pause for a moment and come up with your own word, maybe even write down your word separately from each other. Oh, so you know, oh, oh. Other. I know this too, yeah. When you think about the best team of your life, which is the two of you and the, the business and family you've created together, what is the one word that no, you that use? You're such good students, you're, you're rummaging around for paper now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I don't want to use that piece of paper. I want to use that piece of paper. Thank you. All right, we're ready. All right, now that we have paper and pens. Yep. As you as you, as you pause and reflect on this team, the two of you, the best team of your lives. What is the one word? If you could summarize the whole experience of the best team of your life in one word, what is that one word? And and, and we're pausing, and you're writing it down independently from each other. All right. Turn it into right. word. What's your word? <laughs> My word is complimentary. Right. In yeah. terms of like complementary, you know, skill sets and perspectives and having each other's back and complementary strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Mine's complex. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you mean by complex? I mean that it has a, a degree of difficulty to it. It has a degree of diversity. It has a challenge in, inherent in it. There's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknowns in it, inherent in it. And I think that's what keeps it interesting, keeps it engaging <laughs> for, you know, for me. So yeah, I think that, I think that the complexity Certainly when you think about our team, because our team is so long, so so long lived, the complexity is, is for me, the, what describes it the best. Yeah. So when you say challenging, you mean like challenging, but in a good way. I mean, always. (laughs) (laughs) Challenging. Yeah. Challenge, like challenges is hard and challenging is in, you know, aspiring and in pushing to be better and all the ways that things can be challenging. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think things are worth doing that unless they're challenging. Yeah. Well, I mean, and right. I mean, and, and, and not only that, but things change all the time. Right. And so I think you have to be adaptive because, you know, the world we live in, you know, personal, professional, whatever is a complex adaptive environment. Right. And working on the web in particular, I mean, that is the work that we do now versus the work we did 20 plus years ago is very, very different. Mm -hmm. And we are even, you know, we're working in some cases with very similar kinds of clients, but solving much more complex problems for them as more and more of what everyone does 
is moving online. Yes, and I want to go back though and resist the temptation to judge the work that happened at that time by today's standards. Because I think it's important to understand that complexity is relative to where you stand in that moment. And because in 1996, the medium was brand new. Right. It was complex because it was entirely new and entirely unknown, right? So the complexity wasn't in the sophistication of the technology or even in the sophistication of the problems we were trying to solve, but just in the fact that the patterns didn't exist as such. And the tools you were trying to use were very rough hewn (laughs) compared to the tools that we have now. And and even the collaboration techniques and and tools, like we we were really trying to invent everything all at once, right? And now we have so much more to start with, right? The the barriers to entry were very low at the time, but they were low because we were starting with such a tabula rasa. And now as someone trying to enter the world of either agile software or web development or whatever you think about it, like there are a lot of great resources and a lot of great opportunities that didn't exist. So the complexity has changed. And and, and so the work that we do has changed and the nature of the complexity has changed, but I wouldn't necessarily characterize that our work has gotten any more or less complex. The complexity has just changed. Right. No, I I think that's absolutely correct. And as I was listening to you describe that, the analogy that came up was like, okay, right now we have like this giant Lego set that we can build all sorts of interesting things with. Back in the day, we were literally trying to invent new Lego bricks, right? And, you know. I would say when we got started, we were like, hmm, what's a mold? How do we mold Legos? And should we make them out of plastic or metal? Like really, you know, in in 96, we weren't even sure. Like what was, and we would experiment, right? It it was, it was very experimental. Um, You know, the web was you know, such a, such a wild west at that point, you know, one of the things I really liked about fundamental assumptions were changing with every new browser release. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, yes. And, you know, I liked, I liked the way that you thought about it, right. Mm -hmm. As a nonlinear medium, right. Mm -hmm. That's inherent in our name Mm -hmm. and why you chose it, Mm -hmm. right. Palantiri from, from Tolkien's universe are, are, you know, a nodal communication device that where it sat in each of the cities of the realm here, you know, we're right. revealing our geekness in case anyone needed that <laughs> confirmed. Right. So, you know, and that really, it, it spoke to how you could think about this differently than right. just put a brochure up on the web. Right? right. And using the right tool and the strengths of the tool in ways that are unique to that. I think that was always a, that was always kind of a big, big deal for us. For sure. Yeah. Now, um, this team, how do we know it's a, it's a great team? The two of you, the company, the family, everything around you, subjectively, how do you know this is a great team? I feel like I can do more when I'm a part of it than I could when I'm not a part of it. Like, I, I honestly feel like I have accomplished more than I would have imagined. I've done things that I, you know, wouldn't have dreamed of doing, certainly have been challenged in areas I would never have challenged myself. So it's it's about being more, being part of something more for me. Yeah, I, I think I, I would echo all that. I mean, I think the other part of it too is that uh, this team has been around for a really long time. And, you know, we're 
we're continuing to explore new things and solve new kinds of problems and the new challenges, right? The, the different forms of complexity is, I think, part of what makes it continue to be a great team after, after all this time. Well, for me, I think that yeah. that was what I was going to say yeah. is our objective measure. Oh, right? sure. Because okay. I think most yeah. businesses do fail, yeah. you know, before they get to yeah. be 24, 25 years old. And especially businesses right. that are bootstrapped, right? Yeah. Neither of us comes from from any means. And we, d- we had no outside investors. And, you know, we've done everything ourselves. I mean, we certainly had supportive families in the they encouraged us to pursue this, but we came out of college with college debt. I'm very grateful to our alma mater. I love our alma mater and, you know, go cats. But I came out with a lot of debt and, and you know, uh, worked worked our way out through yeah. that. And this has very definitely been a bootstrapped business. And I'm very proud that we have been able to run this company in a very traditional way. Mm-hmm. We are the two owners. There are no other owners. There's nobody else who invests in this company. And um, and so I think that's the objective measure that, that this has been a great team. And it's had a, a lot of people who I truly respect and am grateful for who have made contributions over the years. And it's I, I think the fact that the cast has changed is a testament to the strength of the team as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm sort of reflecting as you as you say it. You're my heroes. You bootstrapped this company, and yeah. and here you still are. That is so yeah. cool. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the- <laughs> check back with us in a year. I mean, so well, right. I mean, we've we've been around long enough. We've been through a couple recessions now. Yeah, and, this is this is recession number three. We have always come out stronger on the other side. And I, I I think you know the one thing I might add, you know, is that when you are thinking about a business that's built for stability and sustainability and longevity versus getting the big exit, right? You know, you're going to prioritize things differently. You're going to make different kinds of choices, you know, and that I, I think, you know, in terms of my background, I'm always pushing on on the sort of business side, running a business in a financially conservative kind of way, as, as I think important. I mean, it, it's key. I mean, you don't, you don't want to be a place. I mean, and this is what we're going, you know, experiencing right now. I mean, so, you know, this particular crisis kind of thing came on so quickly and and caught so many businesses unaware. So, yes, we always talk about being ready for a rainy day, but you never know when that rainy day is going to strike. Right. And we talk with the team on a regular basis about the weather report. And the weather report is based around operational efficiency. It's based around the metrics that we use to talk about the fundamentals of our business and how individual behaviors impact the bottom line financially. And it, it provides a level of transparency and clarity around you know, how we are measuring what success looks like. And, you know, when the crisis first came on, I said, you know, I I did a weather report and I said, but I'm also going to do a climate report because climate is about the long-term trend. And I would really like to talk about the long-term trend because we are, we are efficient in the short term so that we can be resilient in the long term. And that is the climate that we, one of our values is about how we take the long view. And so we talk about our codename Armadillo, 
and how we are just going to roll up in a little ball and we are going to ride this out. And this is all about protecting the team and keeping everybody working and keeping everybody safe. And that is why we are efficient in the short term. That is why we focused on the weather report and why we saved and why we had cash reserves and why we, <laughs> why we did all those crazy little things because that's not our focus right now. Our focus is about making sure our team is fine, making sure our clients are fine, doing continuity planning, making sure that people can take the leave they need to take, making sure that when they take the leave, their project teams are fine, making sure their clients continue to be well-served. It's that kind of flexibility, that kind of adaptability that we've been able to instill by having a really solid core of values and by focusing on building distributed decision-making. That's been a very concerted effort through, I would say, the last 18 months um, of, of really making sure that we built in organizational agility. When you have the longevity in an organization like we do, you know the likelihood is that George or I have already seen it, and I can answer probably any question. But for Palantir to be a resilient organization, the answer to a question can't be, ask Tiffany. Right. And at various points, it has been that. Right. And, and so when you want to move away from that, you want to really focus on how do you create an understood model of distributed decision making? And um, so there's a, a company I admire. I don't, I don't know them personally, but there's a company out of New Zealand called Boost. And, you know, they're a, a, an agile organization as well. And, and, and they publish this um, decision making tree, which I love the the pun of it. So nice job guys. Um, that talks about root level decisions, trunk level decisions, brands, and then leaf. And so we, we inherited that and we've been using that model to talk about leaf level decisions and branch level decisions and, and trunk and, and root level decisions. And, and I've been doing a really good job over the last year of really focusing on only having an opinion on things that are root level because that's that's really where it is. Like I can make I can have an opinion on any of those things, right? Pretty fast, right? I am, again, say what you will about uh, all the personality indexes and whatever, and, and the value of them. But on the Myers Briggs, I'm an NJ, right? Which the Onion called the destroyer of worlds, right? So I am <laughs> I am quick to have an opinion on things, and I've been doing a lot of work around being the kind of leader that an agile organization needs. And through that, I, I had the opportunity to work not only with you, but with um, Michael and, and Audrey Sahota. And, and they talk about, you can't distribute a decision where you have an agenda or you have an opinion on it. And I've worked really hard around being really clear, like, do I need to have an opinion on this thing? And I'm really focused on, no, if this is not a root or a pretty important trunk level decision, I just tell the team, I don't need to have an opinion on that. And I, I need to mean it when I say it. Right. So when we got to this crisis, I've been really clear about, you know what, these are leaf level decisions, or these are branch level decisions, or these are trunk level decisions. And anything that's anything that is at the root level, I communicate it out, you know, and this is how I'm thinking about it. And I try to get it to the point where there's a scaffolding or an infrastructure that everybody understands and I push it down and communicate out. That is my job. So I, I think that that's when you're trying to build in this kind of organizational resilience that isn't dependent on any one person, that, that where you don't need individual heroics, which is exactly the kind of 
resilience you need right now when any person at any time may need to may, may need to hit the pause button for any number of reasons. Um, you want to make sure that you have a structure that's formed like a mesh, mm-hmm. right? So you need it to be distributed. You need it to be supported. You need decision-making to be understood and you need it to be distributed. Um, so, you know, those are the kinds of investments we've been making, thankfully, for the last, you know, 18 to, to 24 months through agile coaching, through adoption of the of the core protocols, making sure people felt psychologically safe to have those conversations. You know, it, it's it's been a lot. Um, and I feel we didn't know that this you know, global pandemic was coming, but I'm very, I'm very proud of this team and I'm proud of, of um, how prepared you know, they are and how, how well they're supporting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't feel like it's hanging on any one person, myself included. Yeah. I want to know more. We, we've gotten into what are the concrete behaviors and this decision-making, yeah. uh, distributed decision-making is, is one of these. What's an example of a root kind of decision? What's an example of a leaf kind of decision? Great. Okay, great question. So Congress passed the Families First Coronavirus Recovery Act, the FFCRA. And the FFCRA provided for two different kinds of of emergency funded leave. And the first is the EPSLA, which is the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act. And that applied to everyone. It gave two 80 hours of paid leave and uh, paid sick leave under six different conditions and that um, all businesses were supposed to implement that. They also, as part of the FFCRA, there was another part that, which is the EFMLEA, the Emergency Family Medical Leave Extension Act. And that um, is also supposed to apply to all businesses, but businesses that are under 50 people who are not subject to the FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act, as we are under 50 people, we are not um, bound by the FMLA, were able to opt out. And the EFMLEA provides for up to 12 weeks of paid medical leave at two thirds for people who are impacted by school closures. Right, which is going to be a big impact on our team. And um, so what I had to do is I had to figure out very quickly whether we were going to be able to accommodate that. I had to look at the financial model for Palantir because while you know the government is providing that kind of support, I had to see if we wanted to apply for the exemption that we, we couldn't support that. Um, I knew out of the gate that from a values perspective, it mattered to us that, you know, that being able to support both of those types of leave is not only consistent with, but very much imperative as part of the, the core values of our company. So even if it, if it was going to cause a hardship, I needed to rework our financial model to make those things work. Those are root level decisions, right? So I needed to figure out how to rework our financial model to integrate those over the next year. And then at that point, once you adopt those policies, I needed to be able to communicate them out. And then it becomes a leaf level decision. Each person needs to be able to decide, yep, I'm taking leave or not. Right. But then what became a branch level decision is there became a conversation around continuity planning. So the teams together had to say, okay, if a person goes out, how are we going to handle it? And they didn't do it just when a person went out. They did it 
in advance. So they came up with a plan. So there was a there was a trunk level conversation. So well before the pandemic really became a crisis in the, the United States, I started what I called our C-19 response team. And uh, the C-19 team uh, started to kind of think about, okay, how are we going to, to deal with this? And uh, one of the things that, that we did is we started to look at, okay, what is what does continuity planning look like? And so that team led by one of our amazing project managers started to think about, okay, what continuity planning look like, right? So if if we think about the model of someone going out on a, a maternity or a paternity leave, how would we scale that, right? So if somebody's going to leave at any given moment and you don't know when they might leave, what would the team need to know? What would the client need to know to be okay? That's a branch level decision. I don't need to be involved in that, but what what would we want to have and where would we want to have that? So the C-19 team created the play, the branch level decision, the project teams themselves proliferated the plays for themselves. And then individuals now are able to take the leave knowing that their teams are fine. And they all know that it's okay to take it because at the root level, I've assured them that they can take that and the company is going to be fine. Their jobs are going to be fine. We're all going to be okay. So that's how it all works together, right? That makes sense. Thanks. That's a great explanation. I, I, yeah. I, won't, I won't say I totally get it because I'll, I'll at least be modest, but I think I get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, I, and I think, yeah, I mean, and then that's, you know, I think for this to work, I mean, you've obviously dug into this at a very, very deep level, oh, yeah. right? And the whole question of the different leave acts and how they work and how they interact with each other and with the company's leave and all that, that's that's really like complicated stuff. And in a mesh structure, right, the important thing is is really the connections between the people, right? And in order for that work, this kind of shared decision-making to work, you have to have context and clarity, right? So a big part of it is about making sure that as this information is presented to the team, they're not getting like the complete fire hose of all the things, but are able to have the pieces of information that are most important um, highlighted, right? So in an individual scenario, very basic questions that folks are going to have for themselves or the team or whatever, they have the actual information to be able to make those kind of informed choices without having to go and do 80 hours worth of research to understand right. all the ins and outs of the different you know, options. Right. And, and, and then there's also the interplay of the FFCRA and the CARES Act mm-hmm. and PPP. And, you know, there's a lot of root level things going on right now. Like right now, being a small business owner is more challenging and more, more exciting than most times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, uh, you know, I felt like we were well positioned and, and part of, what I feel really grateful for is that we have run this business in a very traditional way. You know, we have an amazing team. We have a long-term relationship with a bank, community bank, that we've had for well over 20 years. We have an accounting team. We have a tax attorney. We have our TPAs. We have, a, you know, we have an employment attorney. I don't mind reading acts of Congress. You know, I, you know, even when they're literally changing as you're reading them. That's right. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm comfortable, and I have been, you know, on the Department of Labor website. I have been on the Treasury's website. I've been on the IRS website. That that's what my team 
expects of me, right? They, that's what they need me to have an opinion on. They don't need me to have an opinion on whether they take leave. What they need me to have an opinion on is how it impacts the sustainability of the company, right? <laughs> and that's what I have an opinion on. And beyond that, you know, how they choose to do continuity planning for that particular client, they need to know that I've got their back, that I trust them, and I do. And so if they want my advice on something, I'm happy to give it. But in general, I've, I, th- I think I've done a really good job of if somebody wants to ask me something, I, I am, you know, I'm there to interpret a contract because I still do all of our, you know, contract interpretations. Like, yeah, the contract does say this. Um, that's not a clause I'm particularly going um, to enforce right now. We do a lot of work with hospitals, for example. And, right. you know, um, if, uh, if one of our hospital clients needs to pause something, we're going to pause. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I don't really care what the, cl- the, the contract says. We are going to do what is right. And we know what that is. And, and so our humanity comes first and foremost in, in everything that we do right now. Um, I mean, always, but especially, especially right now. So, yeah, I, I think that, that, that we've, been, we've really been investing and in, in really working toward this for a while. And I'm starting to see it bear a tremendous amount of fruit. For sure. We've got, so we've got organizational resilience as like, I'm, I'm seeing this as a theme. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm outside the company. Yeah. I'm seeing this as a theme. Uh, we've got um, distributed decision-making as one set of concrete behaviors. Yeah. What else do you have for concrete behaviors that go into uh, this being the best team ever? Yeah, I think, I think clarity of communication. And that's again, something we've been, you know, working on you know, quite a bit. And it's, not just that information is communicated clearly, but it, that it is communicated probably more than once and in different ways, right? So, so with this situation, for example, you know, you talked about the uh, response team we had set up. So that response team, we had a dedicated Slack channel. We had regular meetings over Hangout. We had shared Google Docs that we were working in. And, and a lot of what that team was working on and creating was, okay, what is, what is the information for the team, right? To be able to make these kinds of decisions about, you know, when to take leave, what kind of leave to take, et cetera, et cetera. And because the people on the response team were part of the team themselves, they knew what questions they were going to have, right? And, uh, and I, I think that that helped make this much clearer for everyone because a lot of folks from a lot of different sides of the organization got to be part of that. And, uh, you know, much more so than, you know, if either Tiffany or I had just written it. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, you know, being available to answer questions, right? Whether that's a ping in Slack or a Hangout or whatever, the other thing we did as we we kind of moved forward, actually, is we realized that we needed to kind of split out the communication channel, particularly around the COVID-19. So now we have a channel for how this impacts the company, things like people needing to take time, leave, et cetera, a channel for what folks are seeing as it's impacting some of our clients, and then another channel for just sort of how people are dealing with it on a personal level, Right. I, I had a, a kind of challenging time a couple of weeks ago. My dad lives in Wisconsin. He's a chairman of a small town up there, and they had an election, and he needed to be there to help them set up that election. And I, I was having some anxiety about that. 
And uh, I fortunately had a, a venue that I could feel safe sharing that with other folks on the team. Now, how about advice for listeners? How, how can listeners reproduce some of the, the success that you've had as a team? I don't think anything we've done has been particularly innovative, right? I mean, we are, we're experimenting and we are iterating on those experiments. Everything that we've done, someone else has done and blogged about and talked about before, right? It's, you know, you what you do is you do just enough research <laughs> to make sure that it, uh, you think you have a reasonable expectation it's going to match your culture and uh, your needs. You implement it and then you, you evaluate on it and you iterate on it, right? You use you go about it in an agile way. And I think that's the, that's been the real key for us is that, and it was a real breakthrough for me. I remember when we were together last, uh, last year, we were doing some user story mapping and, and I was in the back and, and we were user story mapping the agile redesign of Palantir as a big thing. And I, had this breakthrough moment where I just sat there. I was like, oh my gosh, we've been going about this agile <laughs> redesign oh, yeah. in a not agile way. And it was this, you know, certainly this very, <laughs> this, this very painful moment. I'm not going to lie. But, but it was also a huge breakthrough for me <laughs> where I was like, oh yeah. And I think as I, as I processed that through and, and came through it, over time, it became a lot lighter for me. And then when when I started seeing what was going on in, in China and I started to say, okay, you know, I think that we need to really pay attention to this. We need to be ready for this. It became clear that this was another place we could start to experiment. And even if it didn't, you know, hopefully, you know, this it would have turned out to be a case where we didn't need it and that it was just an opportunity to practice. And I'm sorry that that, that isn't how it turned out, but I'm, I'm grateful that we had those tools and, and I was ready to, to spin it up. And I, you know, I've been using all sorts of, you know, just all sorts of techniques of, of equal voice and, and anonymity and, you know, decision-making tools. You know, there's a decision-making matrix that, that that's in the Sahota playbook that I, I really like, um, which is, helps you understand exactly what kind of approaches you use based on how, you know, whether people have, whether it's a symmetrical or an asymmetrical information going into the decision and how it impacts different people. And, and I've found that to be really helpful. Um, and the team knows that. Um, I introduced that in, in our retreat last fall. And so, you know, we have a lot of the groundwork kind of laid out there, but I wouldn't say that, that any of the tools or any of the approaches we're using have been things that we have invented. They're all found. They're all found. And, uh, you know, I, I think that if you want to reproduce this, you will, you know, you'll look to the experts. My advice actually would be don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. And and, and what I mean by that is that, you know, as I interact with folks on the team, whether it's in a one-on-one context or in groups or whatever, one of the things that I've made a shift toward trying to do more often is is ask questions to really make sure I understand what is the assumptions behind what someone is asking or what someone is saying. And sometimes those questions can feel like dumb questions because sometimes I will ask something that is challenging or confirming a base assumption. But 
I think through that, you can actually gain a lot of insight. And I know that I've found that by doing so, you can you can really gain a much better understanding of sort of not just what people's immediate question or concern is, but also sort of what is their lived experience? What is the context? What goes into how they understand the situation that they're in or the work that they do? And that can lead to a conversation that provides a lot more understanding. I think from a question perspective, one of the areas I I don't necessarily take that approach. Yeah, I know. I, uh, yeah. yeah, that's it's, not it's, it's, it, We have different styles. We for definitely sure. do. I favor disconfirming questions more. Mm-hmm. What would it take for that not to be the case? Um, mm-hmm. that, that I find those are a little more helpful to expose assumptions that someone might not understand to be assumptions or even just surface things that are assumptions that that someone might not realize are their baseline assumptions because I'm so data-driven. I am so unusually research-focused and influenced in that way. It has taken me overly long in my career to realize that that is not not as persuasive to others as I wish it might be, right? I, I, you know, you tell me, you show me some good science and I'm in, I'm like, great, done. I might've thought the, uh, the, you know, the opposite for the rest of my life. You show me some good science. I'm like, oh, great, done. Thank you for telling me (laughs) this new thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, it has been quite a a long journey of learning to, to get to a different place on that. So for me, the process of helping other people get to a new understanding, I think really does start with this notion of disconfirming questions. And if someone is unable to understand what it would take for them to change a belief or, you know, what, you know, what information, and what I mean by disconfirming question is what would it take for that not to be true, Mm -hmm. right? What would you have to learn for that strongly held belief or that um, other piece of information to for you to think that 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 isn't the case anymore if that that question can't be answered then we probably can't go very far right Right. and that's not going to be a very productive avenue of inquiry um, or we're going to have to take another tack entirely yeah and i think that gets to kind of a core question of of self-awareness right and that so one of the things I appreciate, you know, about, you know, the core protocols and some of the other um, sort of agile techniques and tools is that I think they really do help promote this sort of level of self-awareness and provide a tool for people to increase their self-awareness so that they know where they're at and share that in a, in a safe way, you know, that's a, appropriate to the, to the context, you know, or the question at hand. And that, I think, is enormous in terms of, you know, just having a team that knows how to to work well together. It's not that we all have to be like intimate parts of each other's lives, but we do need to understand, you know, what perspectives and where folks are coming from and how they're feeling at a level that when teams are coming together and working together, they can do that in a really, really effective way. Is there anything else you'd like to add for our listeners? One of the things I've found a great deal of comfort in right now, which is helpful or maybe which others may find helpful is that these are very chaotic times. You know, I'm, I'm a sense maker and I thrive in really complex environments, right? I mean, I, I, I seek them out. 
right? <laughs> in fact, perhaps to my detriment, I may try and make a complicated situation complex. And it has been a process of really understanding and accepting that the you know global pandemic and a, and a accompanying recession is a chaotic situation. And what I have appreciated is just understanding that in a chaotic situation, there are going to be multiple right answers in the same way that in a complex situation, there are multiple right answers. And in any chaotic situation, there really are three options, right? You can do anything, you can do nothing, or you can surrender. Any of those is right, given where you're at. So I find a great deal of comfort in going to to that place right now, understanding that what we're dealing with is is chaotic and whether I'm surrendering to just say, this is outside my control and outside my influence and I'm going to let be what it will be or I'm going to not try and change this other thing right now (laughs) um, or, or I am just going to do something because I need to do something right now. That, that those are all okay. Those are all good answers. So I, I have definitely found a lot of comfort in that and, and others may as well. If there are any listeners who'd like to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure, they can uh, go to our website at uh, palantir.net. The .net is very important. Um, <laughs> and uh, they can also uh, find us on uh, Twitter. We're at Palantir. And uh, yeah, and from there, there's all sorts of different ways to, to reach out and contact us. Tiffany Ferris, George DeMet, and various small in height background actors. <laughs> <laughs> we call them Palantini. <laughs> yes, the Palantinis. The Palantini. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. Thank you, Richard. Hi, friends. Thanks again for listening. And remember, to support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com.